Hi, it's Bob from Royal Spa. Soaking in a hot tub full of Epsom salts is the absolute best way to minimize everyday aches and pains. And we know all about Epsom salts at Royal Spa. Royal Spa hot tubs are the only hot tubs on the market that can safely and effectively use Epsom salts. Made right here in Indiana, Royal Spa hot tubs are the highest quality hot tubs on the market. Visit any one of our three Indianapolis locations or visit royalspa.com. Ah, Royal Spa. This morning on the Wake Up Call with KB and Andy. Julian Blackman joins us here on The Fan on this Wednesday, getting you ready for the Colts and the Ravens. Julian, good morning. How are you? Good, sir. I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? Uh, thank we're, you for me. Yeah, well, thank you so much for joining us this early, and uh, and we appreciate a big game on Sunday. Of course, you got the win last week. Before we dive into all of that stuff, uh, did you see Granson uh, and what he did with his football uh, on his first touchdown? Have you seen that on social media in the last 24 hours? I have seen it. I have seen it. I'm happy for him, but it's, it's kind of funny how he... Uh, decided to go about it. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, as a father like yeah. like like Julian is, I'm sure he's like, wait a minute, I've seen those pictures before uh, just a few months after birth and not for a football. <laughs> Julian, I, I, before we get maybe into Baltimore, or, you know, certainly the performance you had last Sunday, I don't think fans maybe have a great grasp of just what a daily schedule is like when you guys get into the season. I mean, yeah, you guys go out there and, and you certainly have a you know 90-minute, two-hour practice, but as best you can, you mind kind of mapping out for us what uh what a wednesday looks like for you yeah man no problem uh i'm usually up by six in the morning um you know i gotta get ready to get everything together so that i can get to the facility um about six thirty, i get to the facility and then i'm just working on my body in the morning man and making sure that uh everything that might feel a little sore can get fixed or uh can get worked on so that i'm ready for the lift and then we lift around uh about eight, so we have it. We have team list at eight, and then uh, after that, we got we go right into special teams at eight fifty-five, and then we got our team meetings, OD meetings, walk through, lunch, and then about one fifty, we got practice, and then after practice, we got a little bit of time to you know get a little bit of rehab in. If you have anything sore, you you go through that, and then after that, uh, you got meetings again. So you got special teams four fifteen, and then you got OD meetings right after that, fifteen minutes later, and then. After that, uh, you got dinner at 5, and so your day is pretty much done around 7 because I like to stay around and uh, get my body worked on again after t- after uh, OD meetings. And then, uh, yeah, just kind of get home, watch film, see what you can do to catch a beat on the other team. And then by that time, it's probably like 9, and I'm getting ready to go to bed again and then just repeat. You've uh, made a position switch this year playing some strong safety. You're very versatile at Utah. You've been versatile even in your early years here in the NFL. What has that change been like for you? What have you liked about playing uh, strong safety? Um, honestly, it's just uh, more communication for me. There's a lot more for me to do when I'm at strong safety. and uh, you know, I get to be in the run game. I get to be in the pass game. I got to be very communicative and, uh, you know, me and my personality already as a person is very, you know, communicative. So, um, yeah, it's, it's really fun and I enjoy it a lot. So it just puts me in the position to make plays. Julian Blackman joining us here on the fan on this Wednesday. He's on the Payless Liquors hotline. Uh, you're talking about your schedule. I'm sure it's a lot easier uh, to go about that busy schedule this week coming off a win. What was that locker room like after the win in Houston? And how does that carry over to this week as you get ready to ball, uh, for Baltimore? It's a great start, man. Um, you know, because you know just as well as I do that it's hard to win in this league. So being able to win early is something that we can carry over to this week. But you know, we got a new challenge, and we're ready for that. And I think that it just helps with the momentum, and you know, it makes you want to win more. Julian Blackman is with us again, fourth year in the NFL, coming off a ten tackle effort against Houston. Julian I asked you this earlier in the week, but for this audience that maybe didn't hear your answer, um, you faced Lamar Jackson a couple years ago. I mean, it was a crazy, crazy game in in prime time. Uh, what do you remember about that matchup? And I guess what is unique about facing Baltimore and certainly one of the more dynamic quarterbacks in the league? Yeah, it was a very physical game, man. Um, it was one of those games where uh, we played very well. We were on the details, and then you know, like anything, the last two plays or two two plays can change the whole the whole swing of things. So, um, what I remember is just a dual threat quarterback, and a lot of um, you know they try to do a lot of things to get you mismatched with their guys that they like to go to. So we just got to be on the details and understand what they're trying to do during the game so that we can make adjustments while it's going. 
Do you see any like comparisons from what you guys faced within training camp? I know Anthony wasn't maybe the everyday starter, but you certainly had a stretch there where Anthony was mm-hmm. running that starting unit. Is that a lazy comparison by me, or, or do you see similarities no. in that? Not at all, man. Um, you know, I think Anthony's very talented, uh, and you know, I think that people have been able to see what he can do. And it's only been two weeks, and so um, it's nice that we have a dual threat quarterback on our team because, like you said, it's similar. So you know, we get to prepare for another guy to come in, uh, Lamar Jackson, and uh, we're, we're excited for that challenge. What's the biggest challenge the Ravens possess that's not Lamar Jackson? Is it uh, trying to, to to tackle that elephant Mark Andrews? What what else would it be if it's a non-Lamar Jackson question, I guess? Um, I think it's the physicality. Um, the O-line, they've got a good O-line. And so we got to be prepared to for, for 90 minutes to just bring everything that we got and uh, do everything that we can to be just as physical and, and show these guys that you know, we're, we're not going to play around with. So. Julian, we had um, Zaire Franklin on last week with us, and I, I don't know. I find myself, you know, offensively, it's like, oh, okay, how many catches did a receiver have? How many, you know, yards did a running back have? You know, you kind of point to some of that and be like, oh, that guy had a good game or not. You obviously had ten tackles on Sunday. I think it was second most on the team. When we're evaluating, like, okay, did Julian Blackman play well or not? How do you individually evaluate yourself? Because obviously, there's a ton that you do that, that we just don't know about what your responsibility was on a given play or not. So what tells you if you had a good game or not? Um, I think it's if I'm on the details and when I'm in the right place at the right time, if I'm not just, you know, lugging into plays, but I know what's going on and I'm making plays because I'm in the right spot. So uh, I thought that I played very well. Um, and uh, I'm just excited to continue to uh, do everything that I can to con- continue that. Um, it can't just be a one-game effort. It's got to be consistency. Uh, so those are things that I look for, man. I just watch the film and see if I'm doing the right things. Is my technique correct? Am I in the right gap? Am I guarding the guy the correct way? How are my feet looking? Um, so all those things I, I take into account to make sure that um, I can do something better next week. I guess you kind of said it there, but do you know within the game if you're – on top of that, or is that something you got to see, you know, plane ride home or certainly Monday reviewing the film? Oh, uh, you can feel it um, as the game starts because, you know, you always have adrenaline going. Um, and, you know, the things that go through my mind is okay, uh, first thing is my feet, how my feet look, make sure that I pop, pop, and do it, everything that I do in practice because at the end of the day, practice how you play. And uh, so you can feel it in the beginning of the game and then you just gradually get going and as you start making tackles you start to feel better and better and uh, and, uh, then the coaches also will bring you to your attention you know they have an iPad on the field so they'll bring it and show you uh, plays that you can do better and you just try to remind yourself of those things. Julian Blackman joining us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Uh, Defensive backs, I mean, you look at the young corners that you guys have. How have you seen them grow uh, in the preseason and in the first couple weeks of this season? And obviously Sunday uh, with uh, the weapons there in Baltimore is going to be quite the challenge. Mm -hmm. Yeah, man, I think that uh, they were just thrown into the fire. And uh, I think these guys are ready. I think at the end of the day, it just comes down to – being in on the field it's completely different you know when you're when you're a starter and uh you, you're you know relied on and so i think that at this point uh you know we we like our guys and we want to compete with these guys you know there's there's no other team that i would want to play with and uh i trust these guys so i think that they just gotta trust themselves and next play kind of kind of mentality Last one for me, Julian. Appreciate this time on as you laid out a pretty busy wednesday for you upcoming um for me, my brain is always racing. I mean, I just got a hamster wheel. It's always I'm thinking about everything, negatively, positively, you name it. That's where my brain is probably going there. Um, for yourself, you're in year four in the NFL. People know year four in the NFL. If you're not a first-round pick, it's a contract year. Uh, do you think about that? And, and, and if so, how often? And if not, I guess how do you go about blocking it out, knowing that you know a second contract could be on the horizon? Yeah, man. Um, of course, you have it. It's, it's something that obviously um, comes across your mind just because, you know, this is year four, and, you know, by this time you want to be one of the guys that can be relied on. And, um, you know, for me, I just kind of try to stay in the present moment, and that's how I block it out is, uh, just, you know, being here right now is because right now my contract isn't being negotiated right now. Those are things that aren't um, – shouldn't be on my mind so uh, right now I just got to focus on what I can do to help this team win and that's that's what matters to me 
All right, I got to ask you as we get you uh, as we get you out of here. You went to Utah. Uh, you know what's coming up Saturday, November twenty fifth. It's Colorado and Utah. How much you've been following Prime? How much have you been following <laughs> Deion Sanders taking oh, over man. college football, Julian? Come on, I know you have. He's awesome. No, he's awesome. He's an awesome <laughs> coach. Uh, but you know, I got to roll with my roots. Yeah, I got to roll know. with my youth, man. My youth got him. But uh, I agree. Yeah, you know, it's been it's awesome to see what he's done um, just for college football in general. And, you know, traditions he's brought and uh, just the hype he's brought as a head coach. You know, you want to play for a guy like that. So it's exciting to see him doing what he's doing. How about the Pac-12 this year? Utah ranked 11. They've got like six or seven schools in the top 20, 25. I know the conference is, you know, about to disintegrate, but a hell of a season for the Pac-12 so far. And uh, Julian Blackman's Utes off to a 3-0 start, ranked number 11. All right, Julian, thank you so much for the time this morning. Certainly good luck on Sunday. Uh, Stay healthy this season and uh, look forward to more conversations. Yeah, I appreciate it. You guys. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Have a good one. Hour number two, hanging out in the drivehubler.com studios. It is the wake-up call. Appreciate Julian Blackman joining us about 35 minutes ago. You miss any of that, we'll have that uh, podcast, YouTube, and everything else. Uh, KB, let's keep it going on the Payless Liquors Hotline. We always love having them on. Uh, 8 o'clock hour every single Wednesday, getting you ready for the weekend. It's Stephen Holder of ESPN.com. Stephen, good morning. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. How are you guys? Man, uh, we are fantastic. Beautiful day out today. Getting ready for some football. I cannot wait. I guess I guess let's just start here. Anthony Richardson was playing a damn good game, Stephen, and then uh, out he goes. Concussion. In comes Minshew. We know how he played, uh, and now we sit and wait. We'll see if AR is out there today and obviously going through protocol the rest of the week. Uh, and then the conversation has been how much can he change his style and everything everything else I guess what are your thoughts on the injury uh the waiting around this week and uh kind of what we've talked about and that is can he change his style will he have to change his style as he hasn't been able to finish both the games that he started here in the NFL well I'll start with with maybe some potentially positive news I mean uh Anthony Richardson uh all indications are that uh, he's he's functioning pretty well and from what I've heard and I think there's a chance a chance he could practice today and that that's a limited practice and that's still part of the protocol uh he he'd still have to go through all the, the requisite steps so it doesn't mean he plays on sunday at, on all i'm not saying that at all but but it's definitely uh checking the boxes toward going toward playing you know if, if, if he were to get there he'd need to practice today so anyway uh that's a good thing now i wrote a whole story about his playing style and and what to make of it and whether he can or should change and where i came down on this is that i don't think he can change that much i agree I he can i, I agree he can yeah he can he can reduce the amount of hits he takes perhaps but you can't eliminate them you can't uh play that style and drastically uh, eliminate or, or drastically avoid hits. You just can't. It, it's and and I think if you think about this, the Colts drafted him. Look, when they drafted him, they knew exactly what they were doing. They knew exactly what kind of player he was, and they knew exactly how they intended to use him. So all of this was done completely above board and completely with the understanding that this was going to be an inherent risk. Now he's been a little bit unlucky in these two games. And and sometimes that's just how it goes. But look, I, I don't I don't think you can 
say that Anthony Richardson should play some different type of football and expect him to be the same player. He's not. He's not going to be. So, yeah, I think he's just got to be as smart as he can. But this whole idea that that if he just plays smarter, he'll be fine, it's kind of ridiculous. Again, Stephen Holder is with us, and you know I think echoes kind of a little bit of what I was saying yesterday about there are some early weak signs of optimism for Anthony Richardson and his potential here to not only practice but you know maybe even play coming up on Sunday. I want to shift gears to Jonathan Taylor, Stephen. Two weeks from today, of course, is when he could be eligible for his first practice. Since we've last talked, I would say there's been a couple of things to note. You had Taylor post the you know whatever five second Insta story of him working out in the indoor facility. Zach Moss had a really nice game on Sunday. Uh, the Colts showed that you know he could have some competence at running back with Moss. Shane Steichen uh, uttered the quote. I, I don't know if it means a whole lot. You know, we expect JT to be back week five, and then you had the NFL's filed the grievance with the NFLPA on running backs and you know faking injuries. I don't know if that was the exact word that was used. I say that in quotes. So there's a lot of layers that's happened since we've last talked. Any of that? impact where you think things will be two weeks from today when Taylor is eligible for that first practice? Right. Well, I'll start with, with Taylor putting the video out there. I I think there have been some different interpretations of why he might do that. Now, I haven't talked to him, so I don't know where his head is at, but I can tell you, I don't think anyone should assume this was him saying, Hey, I love the Colts, and I'm ready to play for the Colts. <laughs> now, he may well play for the Colts, ultimately, but, but that wasn't the point in my estimation. I translated that or interpreted that as Jonathan Taylor saying, hey, I'm good, and I'm ready to play football. That has nothing to do with where he plays or who he plays for or, or whether he wants to play for the Colts. I think he understands, this is very clear, Jonathan, Jonathan Taylor understands that he has to establish – that he is healthy enough to play because that's how that's how he's going to a if he gets traded that's going to enable him to get traded potentially and b he has to establish it anyway because it's part of the procedures as to him getting his credited season while he's on the pup list so it's in a way he's kind of just saying hey i'm doing my part excuse me and that I'm good, and I'm working, and I'm rehabbing, and so the rest of it is, is not in my hands. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. He didn't say that, obviously, but that's how I interpret it. So that's the first thing. Um, I think Shane Steichen is, in terms of his quote the other day, <laughs> I, I don't read too much into it, as you said as well. I agree with you. I think he's just kind of trying to give an answer to a question he doesn't have an answer to. <laughs> so so we'll see, and, and I, I appreciate the the, the position that he's in. Uh, I would say the other thing that w- we didn't mention is is certainly the injury in Cleveland. You know, and, and there could be others as well. Um, I, I see Cam Akers, uh, apparently, uh, according to Sean McVay, uh, they're moving toward trading, uh, the Rams are moving toward trading him. So there's, there's, there's a movement out there, potential movement at least, and potential need in some cases. So it, it, it could be an interesting market. Now, I think that that drives the price down maybe if there are other guys available. So we'll see what happens. Kareem Hart is, I, I think, visiting Cleveland as well, you know, given their news the other night. So I don't know. There is a lot going on. And then the last thing I, I'll just mention briefly, you did bring up the grievance filed by the NFLPA. I will tell you the, the issue about faking injuries, which was, I, I guess, mentioned on a podcast, allegedly, I didn't hear it, but, I'm sure this happened. I'll trust them. Uh, a podcast was mentioned by the NFLPA president, and I, I know for a fact that's something that that Jim Mersey had some was pretty indignant about, and and wondered if that were the, was the case here with Jonathan Taylor. So you know, you wonder <laughs> did Jim Mersey have anything to do with that grievance, and and did he have his two cents in there? I mean, obviously. Everyone knew about that, so it wasn't as if he had to tell them. But, but I know that it, it was something that stuck in his craw in particular, that that might be uh, something that was happening. So that was, I, that was something that caught my attention, I would say. 
Steven, one more on the Taylor front from me. Again, Steven Holder at ESPN.com. Andy and I were talking before you hopped on. Um, I think around the league, what you've seen here in the last few weeks, few months, you've seen incentive-laden sweeteners, if you will, on the final year of contracts for these guys. Chris Jones, yeah. franchise tag-related stuff with Saquon Bar- Barkley and Josh Jacobs. By all accounts, and correct me if I'm wrong, the negotiation period between Taylor and the Colts was virtually non-existent for a multi-year sort of thing. Do you think a sweetening of the 2023 contract in which he makes $4 million a year do you think that is any sort of a discussion point at all? It hasn't been that I know of, <clears throat> excuse me, to this point. Now, they they still have a couple of weeks before before the moment of truth, if you will. So there's still time. I think the question right now is, would that be something that would entice Jonathan Taylor? And, and that's a tough question. I, I think, frankly, it's, it's it's more than the Colts have done so far, so I think you have to at least consider it. If it a uh, gets him more money, which is obviously the goal, and b I, I do wonder what it means in the spring. Does it mean that he is uh, a free agent? Does it mean that they still have the ability to franchise him, which he really is concerned about, as you can understand? So I I don't know. Um, I think the I think the issue in the spring is, is probably as much of a, a concern for Taylor as much as how much money he makes this year. But ultimately, though, but ultimately, given what you see with, for example, uh, Chubb the other night, uh, Nick Chubb going down and having what looks like a really disastrous injury, you know, you, you have to think about, you know, a, a, a bird in hand. In, in other words, and what I mean is just money today versus money later, and and that's what this whole thing's about. Uh, if you can promise Jonathan Taylor, and this is very hypothetical, just to be clear, if you can promise Jonathan Taylor more money today, I mean he's going to have at least some more incentive uh, to go out there and do what he's got to do because that's the that's the concern. And you play a very dangerous position, and and then there are there are other examples all around us of, of guys. You know, going down and having injuries. I mean, if, if Jonathan Taylor had a disastrous injury this year playing for the Colts and then entered free agency, uh, his one opportunity at a goal rush is absolutely gone. And we've seen it before. Marlon Mack. By the way, just look at him seeing this. Uh, and Stephen Holder with us here on The Fan. Nick Chubb, Saquon Barkley, Austin Eckler, Aaron Jones, David Montgomery, J.K. Dobbins, uh, Jamal Williams, Evan Hall, Salvan Ahmed, all guys that have been injured after two weeks in the NFL. Like, I don't know if Incredible. this... Yeah, yeah. And Stephen, I don't know if it's, okay, uh, you know, guys are injured. Well, that means, okay, Jonathan Taylor, you know, the Browns might reach out to Chris Ballard. I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing when you see this quality of running back injured and we played two weeks in the league well it, it, there's there's two sides to this yeah and this is why this is why this has been such a difficult issue the, the player side is clear right the, the player side is <clears throat> you're exposing me to great injury every single play i'm on the field and i want my money pay me <laughs> okay yeah. right that's that's pretty easy we all understand that on the team side they could also spin it in their favor which is hey these guys get hurt all the time, and we're not going to pour money into them. It is what it is. <laughs> and both sides are very uh, reasonable business positions to take. You know what I mean? So it, it's hard to be mad at anybody for this. I mean, I, I don't know why, why, why would anybody be mad at Jonathan Taylor for, for wanting protection when he's, relatively speaking, not made much money for, for the, the contributions that he has, has put forward. And then on the other side, you can't necessarily be mad at a team for having reluctance when you see uh, the injury toll at that position. So, and this goes back to what we have said all along. Who's wrong? No one. No one's wrong. That's the complexity of it. Again, Stephen Holder from ESPN is with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Stephen, through two games, you've seen Shaquille Leonard's snap count you know, hover right around 60 snaps. He's on a little bit of a pitch count, nothing too crazy. He's still playing you know, about three-fourths of the snaps. Um, I, I look at him so far and think, I don't see anywhere near the liability that I thought he was last year on the field. But yeah. I also have yet to see kind of like, all pro he's around the ball constantly and you know he's got three or four near game-changing plays a game obviously that's a big spectrum and he's somewhere in the middle of that Uh, what have you observed from his play so far 
I, I think you nailed it. That's exactly what I see. And it's going to remain a question uh, until he can get back to that level, if he can get back to that level. And and, and I know he, he would he would probably never speak to me again if he heard this interview because he, you know how Shaq is. Uh, and that's fine. <clears throat> Excuse me. That's what makes him great. But, look, he, he's a competitor, right? And, and he wants to be the, the best. Uh, but his body hasn't allowed him to do that for a very long time. So I, I do think that, that patience has paid off for him, though. And it has taken a lot of work for him to get back to where he is. I mean, it's night and day, even though he's not the all-pro level Shaquille Leonard. I mean, as you just stated, I mean, it is night and day from what we saw, I think, last year for sure. And and even at times to start training camp, I think he's gotten better and better. Uh, so how much more does he have? And, and that's the question. I, I don't know. No one knows. And I think it's a question for the long term for the Colts. I mean, you know, where he's he's certainly, you know, still in the midst of a very expensive contract, all these things, you know, that no one wants to talk about, right? But but those are things that you know, look they're they're going to be judged based on on what level you know, he's able to perform at. I mean, that conversation is, is going to take shape based on his performance. And so we're not, we're, you know, we're not there yet. I mean, that conversation is one for much later. I, I just think it's still a positive, though, that, that he seems to be trending in the right direction. But you're right. It is a big continuum, and, and he's not nearly at that, that high end of the spectrum quite yet. The good news is that Zaire Franklin is just a maniac right now, and I believe he's leading the NFL in tackles. Not that that's the end-all, be-all, but, I mean, he makes the plays when they're there and, and then some. So uh, this defense really does kind of, I think, feature the middle linebacker, and Zaire Franklin has, has really been a huge beneficiary of that. So we'll just see what happens with Shaq. But, but as you said, at least he's not a liability. Uh, the play comes to him, he makes the play, and I saw some pursuit the other day, which – was very promising. So hopefully it continues to progress. Stephen Holder, ESPN.com, joining us here Wednesday on The Fan. Sticking with the defense, Stephen, I heard you yesterday, I think it was, with JMV. Uh, it's not time to panic about Juju Brents yet, uh, but it may be a sneaky storyline here in the next couple weeks, perhaps. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I totally understand where the coaches are coming from in saying that you know, look, he, he needs time. He missed a lot of uh, practice time in training camp in the preseason, and, and those things are all true. Uh, I, I would say, as I said to John, he's been in practice every day, and, you know, we're in week three. So <clears throat> those reps have to they have to count for something, and, and you should be able to evaluate him in those reps. Uh, Gus Bradley says he's getting more and more reps, at, which would suggest that he is – earning those reps and and all i can say is that uh, the, the colts have to really I, I think think about where they are at cornerback right now i mean daryl baker i thought had a rough day mm-hmm. and, and and they are not making a big deal about it yet but i i gotta tell you i mean if they felt good about that position if they felt they had some depth there i thought there would have come a point in that game where you just say all right buddy you got to get out of the game and i i used this analogy to someone yesterday if that were a basketball game and and the other team's wing player, you're defending the other team's wing, and you're just getting taken to the rack every single play, every single trip down the floor, and just getting dunked on, I mean, you're gonna, your butt's going to be on the bench. They're going to get you out of there. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. and I know it's not that simple, but, like, it is that simple. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you've got to win matchups. You've got to compete. And it's know? Nico and, Collins, not Devontae Adams. Yeah, I mean, come on. And look, listen, at the end of the day, uh, look, the Ravens aren't a team that are going to throw for 400 yards because that's not the style they play. But Lamar Jackson, I mean, he's, he's basically throwing layups out there. I mean, he's, he's on the money right now with his accuracy. I mean, if the coverage is as lax as it's been against, uh, against Lamar Jackson, I mean, he's going to absolutely dice that guy. And so they've got to play tighter coverage. They just have to. 
Steven, last one from me, and this is more just on an update on a topic that I know we discussed last Wednesday. I don't know if you caught it in the Indianapolis Business Journal. They had a uh, turf story, a Lucas Oil turf story. Uh, Pete Ward had a quote in there. It sounds like next year the uh, Colts, or I guess I I, I should probably read a little closer who exactly is going to be installing the new turf, but $1.24 million for new turf called Matrix. It's the same turf that's used at SoFi Stadium. AT&T and NRG they're going to do this in March uh, remove the old turf in March do the new turf uh, after the US Olympic swim trials conclude in June it sounds like irrigation that is the reason why the Colts will not go down the path of Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas or the Cardinal Stadium and the ability to have grass in there uh, lack of irrigation and drainage needed for natural grass yeah, so perfect question because uh, my, myself and a colleague um, at ESPN, we're working on a, a, a big uh, turf versus grass piece right now. So I'm in the middle of that reporting and have been working on this. So, yeah, I know a lot about this and I know about that. That turf is much, much more preferable to the current turf, at least according to people who know more than me. Uh, the NFLPA doesn't want any turf, but if you have turf, they prefer it to be the, the turf that that the Colts are moving to next year. Uh, so, you know, this gets into, number one, that is correct. The, the stadium, even though it has a tr- retractable roof, Lucas Oil Stadium is an indoor stadium, period. End of story. If there is a 2% chance of rain, they don't open the roof. <laughs> the reason for that is because if the water gets in there, there's nowhere for it to go. <laughs> okay? It'd be like opening the roof of your house which you would never do, right? So just think of it in those terms. It's an indoor building with a very, very, very expensive uh, feature. Of, it's basically a car with a sunroof. That's what it is. When, when it's going to rain, you, you, you don't open your sunroof. That's what this is. So we can quibble about why the, the retractable roof is there and all that, but that's a, that's a story for another show. The point is, uh, yes, they don't really have the option. Now, there are places like Mercedes-Benz Stadium in in Atlanta who are going to host World Cup games and my understanding is there will be turf for those games. Now, I don't know the particulars of of the construction of Mercedes-Benz Stadium, but you know whether it can take irrigation and all that, but I do know that putting that grass in there basically takes the stadium off the off the off the grid for like a month in, in terms of its potential use for other events and all of that. And as you know, you know, we all know if we live here, Lucas Oil Stadium is used for all kinds of things. So they're not about to give up use of the stadium so that even if they were able to use grass, they would be giving up use of the stadium for very long periods of time because you cannot hold the same number of events on a grass field because you have to protect the grass. So anyway, it, it gets really complicated, and, and there are issues that go well beyond just, well, why don't you just put grass in? Uh, it, it is very complicated, and, and I, I don't think the Colts have the option if they wanted to, to be completely honest. Yeah, the story, again, Mickey Shue from the IBJ had this, added that the stadium's connected to the convention center. Of course, we know that. Uh, frequently used for overflow convention space, and for each event, they put down a flooring atop the turf. Mm-hmm. If you put that atop the natural grass, it would be a bit detrimental. So, a lot of issues yeah. that probably and goes what, back more to 2000-whatever, 2007 construction, whenever it was built, than it has yeah. to do with 2023. And one last point, I mean, you know, Although I, I I don't remember how the how the profits break down in terms of who gets what from the stadium events, but but one thing to remember is you know when when the stadium is used for those you know convention events or just various other things. I mean the Circle City Classic I think is here this weekend, for example. Like the, those are things that are that that are beneficial for the city as well, and and you know through the Convention and Tourism Bureau, et cetera. All of those things are they have a responsibility you know, to, to drive those events and hold as many events as possible because that's how we get a tax revenue. That's how we get tax revenues in the city. So it gets really complicated and into the weeds, but, uh, yeah, it, it, there's, a lot, there's a lot of layers there. I think I've written stories before of covering athletes that have smoked some grass. I didn't know I'd be also writing stories <laughs> about growing 
grass. But you know, I guess everything's evolved. The smoking of the grass and even the growing of the grass. What an old, what an old way to put it. Yeah, and I, uh, that's very old. Well, I am 34. I guess. Smoke some grass. Uh, Stephen Holder, we will see you in a few hours. Thank you. Thanks, Stephen. All right, Kevin. I think you're 54, not 34. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Yeah, hanging out in the drivehubler.com studios, 9 o'clock hour, the wake-up call, KB and Andy. Appreciate Stephen Holder joining us earlier in the show. Colt Safety, Julian Blackman as well. You miss any of the conversation. A lot of Jonathan Taylor, a lot of uh, AR conversation. I was wishy-washy. I am no longer. All of that up at the podcast center on the the website, Apple, uh, I would say iTunes. Boy, that's an ancient thing to say. Uh, find us on YouTube and much more. All right, Tony East going to join us, SI. Locked on Pacers podcast. Uh, Tony, we we have not had a conversation on the radio, so I'm excited about this. Andy, How- meet Tony. Yeah, Tony, what's happening, man? How are you? First time for everything. I'm sure it won't be the last, but uh, it's always fun. It's always fun. This is my first time on the Wake Up Call, as it's now called. So it's a big day for both of us. Well, good. I was told two things about you, that you know the uh, most of anyone about the Mad Ants, uh, and that if there's any contract situation, any mid-level exception, to text you immediately, and you will have the answer to both of those things. I take it you got your information about me from Kevin. <laughs> Is well, your pen yes. tweet still that I said to you one time that you know more about the Mad Ants than I know about my in-laws? Uh, it's not. I wish it still was. That was um, that was my best to tweet ever. <laughs> Tony, how's the oh, offseason been before we dive into it? Uh, I, I think there's a lot of anticipation for this Pacers season, but how's the offseason treated you? With I know a little bit of international uh, flavor for you in terms of uh, watching some basketball here in the last month or so. Yeah, I really enjoyed the World Cup, which which helped tide it over. But now it's straight like I just moved, so with the fever done and um, ahead of the Pacers season, it, it's been strange. I've just been like unloading boxes every day or putting something somewhere, which is the least riveting task of all time. But I'm glad I figured out the perfect timing to do it between seasons because we're about to get started in Pacerland. They got camp right around the corner. Yeah, you were smart to do that uh, off season. I am doing that basically in season. I have 900 cardboard boxes sitting in my with living room. With a new kid, yeah, with, with a with a baby, with a new job, with everything else. So uh, I envy you, but I think I might be in a worse position than you. <laughs> I have so many damn boxes, Tony. So many. I. I agree. I'm sitting next to two cardboard boxes oh. right now of oh. uh, bookshelves that I do not want to construct. So uh, we can we can empathize. Well, speaking of construction, again, Tony East with this here. The Pacers have done a whole lot of reconstructing over the past few years to have a core right now that, first off, I can't recall a time recently, Tony, where I've gone 9, 10, 11, I mean, hell, maybe even a dozen deep and think, yeah, that guy could play for the Pacers and like play a role uh, of a playoff team, in my opinion. Um, I'm I'm going to throw out five to six seed as a reasonable expectation for this Pacers season. Too high, too low? Uh, I think that's probably a little too high to me. I think, well, let me, too high as in I think their their seed will be lower than that. <laughs> I don't I don't expect them to be a top four seed in the East this year. So I, it, it's tricky with numbers saying too high, too low. But either way, I think that they're probably closer to a play-in team myself, mostly because of the quality of the East less so than the Pacers' improvements themselves, right? They have a lot of young guys who should, in theory, be better next year. Like, maybe half the rotation would would comprise of, of, of a player like that. And 
Bruce Brown, not only is he good and is a good player that will help them be better, but is a great fit for them with his point of attack defense, with his ability to transition. Obi Toppin and Jairus Walker just are big at the four. They haven't had that for years. So in general, I think their improvement suggests they should be better. But I mean, I think every team in the East, probably one through eight, thinks that they got better this offseason. And the Pacers were five wins out of the plan last year. So when I ran through the, the whole projections for their record in the East, I had them in that 8-9-10 range, and I think that's plausible. But I think they're, given that they're so young, it's more likely they overshoot that than undershoot that, and anything short of the plan would be, of course, a massive disappointment. Uh, when you look at what do you feel confident the most on saying today, whatever today is, September 20th, that you know about this team, and what's the thing that you're least confident that you say, I don't know how this particular player, how this particular item is going to work out this season? Yeah, I'm confident they'll probably lead the league in transition frequency, <laughs> given how they've talked about what their offseason was, right? But all of their acquisitions. Uh, there the are two NBA guys, you know, Obi Toppin and Bruce Brown. That was something that Rick Carlisle made very clear after acquiring them, right, that they had very strong efficiencies in the open floor, and that was a big part of the appeal of bringing them in is that they'll be additive in, in, in transition where the Pacers are at their best, right? Tyrese Halliburton, one of the best, if not the best, transition players in the whole NBA, and now they'll be better there. They could do it even more often than they did last year, and Bruce Brown will help them get stops, which will let them play in transition more often. I'm very confident they'll play in transition as often as they can, even off of makes or off of, you know, turnovers flying out of bounds. You know, the Pacers love to run out, grab the ball, and try to get going as fast as they possibly can before the defense gets set. I think that'll be kind of their bread and butter if they can this season. And what I'm least confident in, uh, the rotation. I think there's about to be a lot of camp battles for this team, right? Tyrese Halberton definitely going to start. Miles Turner definitely going to start. I have pretty good guesses for everybody else, but that's just it. They're guesses, right? I think there's a lot of competition for minutes at – on the wing, at the four spot, it could go either way. At the backup point guard spot, could go either way. Like, there's a lot of flux about their rotation and figuring out who fits with who and who deserves playing time. Uh, it's going to be really tricky for these guys. Like you said, Kevin, they've got uh, as many as 12 guys. So you could say, yeah, that guy deserves minutes, but that's just too many to play every game. Uh, what did these FIBA games do, uh, I guess, for the for the stature of Halliburton, but also Daniel Tice as well? He's, I imagine, one of those guys that will be uh, in those rotation battles that you're talking about. He looked like Shaq at times <laughs> in the damn right he did. <laughs> yeah, I guess I'll start with him because it was surprising to fans of the team because he didn't do it hardly anything the team last year due to his health, right? He had surgery right when the season started, so he wasn't even available until February. He only played seven games because... They have to go a little younger uh, at, the, at that center position, but you know, he, that's the kind of player he is, the guy he was in the World Cup. Sets hard screens, can make jumpers from the elbow, can make some nice passes, and is just kind of this bruising, big man kind of player, right? 21 points against the USA in that semifinal game. Like, he can be quite a good player. I think that, that Pacers fans just haven't seen it because of what he was last year. Like, the Celtics relied on him in the playoffs when they – made their finals run two years ago he can he can do stuff like that the problem is from a Pacers perspective is that he is much better in kind of slower methodical offenses to me than what the Pacers want to be right a really up-tempo team that's flying up and down and it's not that Tice can't do it he's a smart player but that's definitely not his his strength and the other problem for him in terms of getting minutes is that he's on the wrong side of 30 and his contract suggests that he doesn't have the longest term future with the franchise whereas some of their younger bigs maybe do so he certainly showed that he is probably the second best center in terms of talent on the team but in terms of fit in terms of timeline it'll be interesting to see if the Pacers still opt to give him minutes or not and Halliburton of course I think just showed everybody what he was for the Pacers last year right if you didn't catch the Pacers last year and you're in the United States now you know because he was flying up and down he was the best point guard on the team despite coming off the bench and everybody kept clamoring for him to start but to me a lot of the USA strength was that that second unit was so good because yeah. of Halliburton with it, and he closed a lot of games. I think that he proved that he is the premier talent in the NBA, and he proved that he can play well with stars, which I think was important. We just hadn't seen that yet. So good uh, good World Cups for both guys, and I think that's got to be encouraging for the Pacers. It's one of our favorites. Glad the conversations will be a little bit more routine now over the next, whatever, half dozen months. Tony East is with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Read his work at SI.com. Podcast is locked on Pacers. 
All right, Tony, you know one of my crushes. That would be Benedict Matherin. Um, the year one had my heart at times uh, fluttering. At other times, I'm thinking, oh, my, there is a whole lot of crazy in Benedict Matherin. I mean that in a good way, and at times it, it can be a little volatile, to say the least. Um, I am beyond curious to see how the playmaking injection into him goes. Like, can you be more of a f- facilitator? Can you make the extra pass? Can you swing it around the per- – like, all of those things I am fascinated to see with Matherin. Uh, how do you view this second season for him in a rookie year that there's no denying it was one of the best rookie seasons the Pacers, Pacers players had, uh, particularly in terms of attacking the basket? Yeah, I think it's – one of the most important things about this entire Pacers season truly is how much better does Matherin get at, at skills that he didn't show last year? And uh, in addition to that question is how much better does he get at skills that let him fit well with Tyrese Halbert, right? Because the, the long-term future of the Pacers would certainly require that those two are as good together as possible, right? And and Matherin, of course, can get to the line better than a lot of NBA players already. He was 13th in free throw rate last year. The whole league, not amongst rookies, the whole league, right? So that's, we know he's going to get to the line. We know he's going to score in isolation and make plays in that way. But what can he do off the ball that when Halberton's doing his thing can make him a threat? Is it the passing, right? Is it when a pass comes to Ben Matherin and a closeout comes, can he put the ball on the floor and make a good pass and be a creator? Is it shooting? Is it being able to just knock down a three from beyond the arc, right? That kind of stuff would make him way more valuable to the Pacers because of his fit. But in terms of his growth specifically, I think you nailed it. The playmaking is going to be just so important, right? Because right now the way he's defended on any time he drives or any pick and roll or anything, the defense just sends the second guy over to shade him right away. And so he's often running into two guys at the basket or even before the basket, even at the elbow, the second guy is already there. And he, he's proven that he can still score in those situations at times, which is great. And this coming season, I think that, That'll be helpful for the Pacers uh, starting five at times if their possession gets bogged down or something. But he's got to be able to be a little bit better getting rid of the ball and making a play for someone else. Even if it's just simple reads to the corner or simple thumbs to the big and the roll or whatever it is, that would go a long way for him. He had a couple nice ones in his second summer league game that made you think he's got that processing down. But uh, I I think the Pacers want to see more from him there throughout the whole season. and. Him getting better at those things would, would be maybe the top thing for me in terms of a player development perspective for the Pacers to care about this season as they push forward. Tony, I want to go back to a little bit of the starting lineup chatter that you had. And again, a week from Monday will be media day for the Pacers. I mean, hell, their first preseason game is like, was it three weeks away, something like that, two and a yes, half weeks away? Yes, yes, yeah, yes. it's crazy. Um, okay, I like to play a game with the Colts starting lineup where I do Sharpie, pen and pencil i don't know if the kids still use whiteout anymore but you know obviously you can write in pen and you know if you need to just you know get the whiteout kids don't write anymore they type that is probably an accurate i just found two pens in the break room by the way that i put in my backpack Uh, okay sharpie pen and pencil give me five starters let me know if you're writing them in sharpie pen or pencil Okay, Tyrese Halliburton is Sharpie, right? I don't have to tell you guys why that one is Sharpie. And uh, same with Miles Turner. I think those two guys are going to start for the Pacers. They both had excellent seasons last year. The the number everybody has cited all summer is 26-22. and That's the Pacers record when both those guys played at all. It doesn't matter how much or who else played. Just those two guys were available. Pacers had a winning record. They were, you know, about the same winning percentage as the Brooklyn Nets and Miami Heat. Just if those two are available, they're going to start there. Two of the best talents on the team. Everywhere else, I don't think you can do Sharpie, and I think this is going to be a big story of camp. I think I will do Pen for Bruce Brown, their big signing of, of the summer. I, I am closer to Sharpie than Pencil with him. I mean, you don't give a guy Ooh, I like that dollars. intel. Great mm, intel. Yeah, there okay. keep, keep it going. <laughs> That's just my. I mean, I'm just reading the tea leaves here, but I mean, you don't you don't give a guy forty five million if uh, if you don't really believe that he can help your team. And of course, there were some salary cap dynamics at play there, but because he fits well with Halberton at his best, right, being in transition, and because I think defensively his fit with Halberton is so important, right, he can guard like Halberton guarding the point of attack all the time. I don't think is the best thing for the Pacers. So. Bruce Brown can do that in lineups with Tyrese. I think that's going to be big for the team, and he's a good off-ball fit in any lineup. He can pass a little bit. Like I think he's a, a pretty pretty close to my third most confident pick to be a starter this season. Uh, you don't give a guy that kind of money. Like He's the highest-paid patient this year to come off the bench, even if it would make some sense. So to me, he's Penn, and then I think Matherin would be my final starter on the wing. 
and that would be closer to pencil than Sharpie, but I'll do pen for that one, given how you know he discussed things this offseason. And then, man, the four is just the hardest spot to me. Um, I think I, if I were in charge, I would start Jairus Walker. I would like to see how he fits with Turner and Halliburton and go for the long-term play there. But I think that Obi Toppin might, might be the Pacers' choice just because of his talent level now. And he certainly is a guy that fits better with Halliburton than without. So I will go pencil for Obi Toppin, pen for Matherin, pen for Bruce Brown, and Sharpie for the other two. Tony East with us last I w- love that, by the uh, way. I, I know. I love the detail. Yeah, K- no, KB's shaking his head. He's, I was jotting down notes yeah, the whole he's, time. He's, he's vibing with it. <laughs> now, uh, Buddy Heald, sorry, Andy, Buddy yeah, Heald ahead. does have a, a decent amount of history coming off the bench, yeah. right? Well, he does with the Kings, and I, you know, there was some reporting, I believe, I'd have to go back and really dive into it, out of Sacramento, that he, he didn't really like coming off the bench in Sacramento, hmm. and, that, and that was part of his, you know, disdain, for lack of a better term, there, and I didn't know, now he's older and wiser by a couple of years, perhaps that could change, but, you know, we saw that at the end of last season, right, we saw the seeds get planted there, Matherin started the last, I think, nine games for the Pacers, with Heald coming off the bench, and Halbert only played in two of those games, right, I think they were kind of planting that that would be the case, that is a little bit of a guess, but I think that makes a lot of sense for the Pacers long term, and you heard Kevin Pritchard allude to you know, them finding the right role for Buddy when they he was asked about an extension at the end of last season. So, yeah, Heald's great, and he'll be their best shooter, and I think he'll still play a lot because he'll be important for them. But I think as they kind of discover what their best lineups are, I think that's what we'll see the starting five be to start the season. Tony, last one for me. Uh, you mentioned Jarris Walker there. If he starts games coming off the bench, we, sh- uh, we shall see. Just this rookie class in general, uh, what do you make of it, and how do you think they handle the guys? The, the new yeah, guys. Jer- I think Jarris should play as much as they feasibly can, right? I mean, he is a kind of player they haven't had in a long time, right? A really good defensive-minded four who can – this is the term I'm going to use a lot because this has started to, to creep into basketball and journals and circles. Defensive playmaker, right? Like, he's going to make steals and, and, and make blocks and make disruptive plays on defense in a way that is going to let their offense be easier. And I like that that term, I think that's going to – him well this season like you saw it in summer league his first summer league came he was just everywhere blowing up plays blocking shots getting the pacers out and running like looking really confident so that dimension is going to be important most rookies are not good defenders right away which is at no fault of any rookie ever so i'll be curious what his impact level looks like on that end of the floor but you know, he was good in the open floor at houston his shot was good enough i'll be curious what the elbow surgery means for that because he did not shoot well in summer league and he can pass a little bit. I think that's something the Pacers kind of have to explore a little, see what he can be in that type of way. You know, everybody's going to compare his skill set to Draymond Green, which is unfair because Draymond Green is one of the most unique players ever <laughs> in the NBA and has been a key part of four title teams. But I mean, that is sort of the skill set you'd like to see if you're the Pacers guy who can make quick decisions, make shots when wide open, and is just an absolutely massive disruptor on defense. I think that's going to be important. Ben Shepard, I don't think, is going to play much, not because he isn't talented enough to, but just because they have way too much depth on the wing as it is, and we'll have to make some tough decisions even in the backup spots in those positions. So I think they they certainly envision a role for him long-term, or they wouldn't have picked him. He can really shoot it. But I think he's going to be more of a development guy who – Get some reps in with the Mad Ants and with the Pacers is uh, is resigned to being a good shooter. Again, we are slowly approaching. Is it October 9th, Tony? Is that the first preseason game? I think it's the eighth. I believe eighth? it's the eighth. I should I should know that. <laughs> so that is coming up here. Are we getting married anytime soon? Not you and I, but you <laughs> I was about to say. you and your significant <laughs> okay. other. It's not it's not very soon. So okay. uh, no, no. Okay. okay. But we had an engagement a few months ago, right? That's correct. I love it. Congrats on that. Uh, Tony East, one of our favorites, Pacers season on the horizon. Tony, thank you for the time this morning and looking forward to the next few months. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys.